We're going to keep talking about the story that Paul shared from 2 Samuel today, but maybe in a slightly different way, with a slightly different focus. Um, let me just sort this out. But I actually want to pray first, because I am going to share something that is true of every single person in the entire world, but when I share it, lots of your head will tell you that it's not true. And there'll be lots of reasons in your own mind that will tell you why it's not true for you and why it might be true for everybody else, but it's probably not going to be true for you. And so I just want to pray because if you only hear this with your mind, you will struggle. You've got to catch it in your spirit. You've got to catch it in your heart. And so just before we go any further, I just want to pray that we get it, okay? Because I, I, I love doing this. I love teaching. But every now and again, I sense something in my heart that like is deeper than normal. That God wants to do something perhaps a little bit different to normal. And I sense that this morning. I've sensed it all week. But shall we just pray, Father? I am asking, Lord, that as I share, Lord, the truth about each and every person in this room and each and every person watching online, Lord, I'm asking that their spirit would catch it in the name of Jesus. I'm asking that their heart would catch it in the name of Jesus. And that their mind would not block the truth of your word to them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I go through these truths, if you start thinking about some things going, well, what about this and what about that? I want you to know that's what you've got to bypass, okay? When you're going, okay, yeah, but there's this. Okay, no, but that's a lie. Anything that comes into your mind this morning that tells you you can't have what I'm telling you about is a lie. And you've got to go, no, I'm not having it. Because everything I'm going to share with you this morning is for everybody. So we're going to talk from this uh, story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and uh, that Paul talked about last week. I'm just going to summarize it for you if you were not with us or you've, uh, a lot's happened between now and then. Um, basically, David is the king. And Saul's the ex-king. Saul's dead now. Saul's been killed. And... Um, David suddenly decides, is there anybody of Saul's household who I can show kindness to? And uh, one of Saul's servants comes and goes, well, there is actually, there's Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He's actually Saul's grandson. He's still around. He's lame. So there is somebody that perhaps you could show kindness to. So David goes, okay, well, go get him. So he goes and gets Mephibosheth. And as we'll see as we go through, there's all sorts of reasons why, why little M, we'll call him little M, it's easier to say than Mephibosheth. There's all sorts of reasons why little M is not really looking forward to going to see the king. Principally because he has a claim to the throne and could expect to be killed, amongst other things. But he goes anyway and he gets shown this kindness. And in the end, he ends up eating at the king's table. And he's also lame. He has all sorts of things that are not really going for him. But in the end, he ends up eating at the king's table as one of the king's 
sons. It's an incredible story of, well, we're going to see what the story is about. But this is the really interesting bit. Chapter 9, verse 1. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Why? Why is David bothered about showing kindness for Jonathan's sake? Why is he bothered about Saul's household? If you know the story, Saul is a guy who's tried to kill David multiple times. He's thrown spears at him. He's hunted him with armies. David has been on the run. David has lived in caves, hiding from Saul. Saul is out to destroy him. But notice that David says this, for Jonathan's sake. You've got to remember that this story takes place around 1000 BC. The idea of showing kindness to the family of a deposed king is a little strange. If you became king 3,000 years ago, you would generally wipe out all of the old king's family to stop them claiming a right to your throne. This is a completely countercultural story which tells you something about the power of the story. So the first thing that's unusual about this story is David wants to show kindness to somebody who may well have a legitimate claim in some people's eyes to the throne. Why is he showing kindness? It doesn't make sense until you dive into the history of David and Jonathan and you find out they were really good mates. But more than that, they made, they made something called a covenant together. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan says this, Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So David and Jonathan have made this agreement together, the covenant together, they're going to show kindness to each other and to their descendants no matter what. So when David is asking about Saul's household, it's because he's covenanted together with Jonathan. He's made an agreement. Is it now? Oh, he's on it. Okay. He's on it. So David and Jonathan have covenanted together that they're going to show kindness to each other no matter what. So, so David's desire to show kindness has got nothing to do with Mephibosheth. Because you don't even know who he is. Don't even know he exists. David's commitment to kindness to little M is because he's covenanted together with Jonathan. He's made an agreement that he will care for Jonathan's household and he's going to keep his word. Access to his household, access to his table, to all that King David has is based on David's previous agreement with Jonathan, but it's got nothing to do with little M. And David is so quick to welcome little M into his home. In the message translation of the story, once David learns about little M, it says, King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and got him from Lodabar. Now, put yourself in little M's shoes. You are the grandson of the deposed king. You know your granddad tried to kill the current king many times. And then he gets summoned into the presence of the king. What is the king going to do with him? Perhaps he thinks his life is over. It's the end. After all, he is the grandson of the deposed king. But more than that, we understand he has no personal relationship that we're aware of with David. He's also lame. He can't walk through no fault of his own. When he was five, we read in 1 Samuel 4 or 2 Samuel 4, one of them, um, we read that he's, he's escaping some army and his nurse drops him when he's five years old and he becomes crippled and lame. But crippled and lame also means he has very little going for him. He has no status, he can't enter the temple, he has no religious life, he has no function. He is the bottom of the pile in that culture. 
Which is probably why when David sees him, he says, don't be frightened. Do not be afraid, David says, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. He has every reason to be afraid, and yet he's shown this kindness. Why? Because of David's relationship with Jonathan. In other words, Mephibosheth, little M's presence in the company of the king and all the blessings that come toward him are nothing to do with him. His dad and his friend made a deal together that he would get all the benefits of the deal. So, so little M's response to David's incredible offer is understandable when you think about his lack of position. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's got nothing going for him. No reason why he should be welcomed into the court of a king. In his eyes and in most of the people around him's eyes, he's just a dead dog. Can you imagine him? Being carried, presumably, or at least on some crutches, up to the palace gates. Through the palace into David's presence. Can you imagine the sense of shame he might feel at his lineage, at his family history? Can you imagine the sense of shame he might feel at his physical disability? This is not a man who is walking into the king's presence full of joy. This is a man who is worried whether he's going to leave the king's presence alive. Full of shame, full of doubt, full of disbelief. But David's response is that you will always eat at my table. Now here's the fascinating thing, because now little M's got a choice. He's been welcomed by the king, invited to eat at the king's table every day as one of his sons. The invitation is extended, but now he's got a choice to make. Will he accept the invitation to eat at the table? Will he accept the king's kindness, or will he choose to reject it and stay away because all the reasons in his head why he's not worthy to sit and eat at the table of the king? Because everything in his mind is going, I'm not here, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, I shouldn't be here. And everything of the king is going the exact opposite. So now he's got a decision to make. What's he going to do? A little side note in terms of these Hebrew names because they're so powerful. When David calls little M, he's in this place called Lodibar, which means place of no pasture. In other words, he's in a place of no provision, desolate, dry, empty place. But the king calls him out of that place to feast at his table. But not only that, because the king also wants to deal with his own thoughts about himself. Do you know what Mephibosheth's name means? It means to blow away shame. Oh, it's so good. To blow away shame. The heart of the king was to draw him from a pastureless place, a place of nothing, into a place of provision. At the same time, blow away all the shame that he felt. Because he didn't feel he belonged. It's such a beautiful story. But it's more than a beautiful story because it's also a parable, it's a picture, it's an illustration for you and for me of the invitation God gives you to come into his presence and sit and eat at his table as one of his kids. Because think about it, little M, he's a beneficiary of a covenant made between Jonathan and David. He's done nothing to deserve a place at a table, but he has a place at the table because two people made an agreement that it would be so. And this covenant's really the key for me to this story. But it's also really key in understanding the application of the story. This word covenant we don't use very much, but it's really key if you want to understand the heart of God for you. 
Really, it means that the meaning of the word covenant is to bind together. When somebody makes a covenant relationship, two parties agree to make a commitment and they become one. So marriage is the, the kind of classic example of a covenant. But listen, lots of people who say they love Jesus and do love Jesus get really confused about their place because they don't understand the nature of the agreement that's been made. They seem to think that their place at God's table, their opportunity to receive his kindness and his goodness, to be drawn from a pastureless place to a place of provision, is somehow dependent upon them. He's somehow dependent on what they've done or not done or can do or don't do. But they're wrong. There was a time in human history when that was true. So there was a time in human history when it did depend upon you. 2,000 years and previously, it depended upon you. Because God made some covenants, some agreements. It was always between him and the people. And it was, hey, if you do your bit, I'll do my bit. You read them all. They all start with, if, then. If you do this, then I will do that. But what I see is tons of people who love Jesus still living in an if-then relationship with Jesus. In other words, if I do this, then God will do that. But if then, he's finished. There is no if then in Jesus. No, there really is no if then in Jesus. There's just an I will. Because if you read through, Jeremiah 31 and 31 says this, I will place my love in their hearts or something like that. If you read all the expressions of what Jesus is going to do, it says I will. Not if you, then I will, just I will. I will put my love in their hearts. I will give them a heart of flesh. I will forgive their sins. I will meet with them. You see, in Hebrews 8.13, God says this, by, the writer says this, by calling this covenant new, in other words, what he's done in Jesus, he's made the old one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Here's the thing, too many people are living under an obsolete relationship with Jesus. They're living under an obsolete relationship with Jesus. How do I know that? Because when I talk with people, they ask questions like, but I've done this, so God's distant. I've not done this, so God's not here. But this is my past, so I can't have this. And they live with all these thoughts of things they've done or said or things that have been done to them, and then they decide they're disqualified. Okay, well, you were right. If that's your thought, you were right about 2,000 years ago, but you're 2,000 years out of date. No, really, you're 2,000 years out of date. All that thinking is 2,000 years old, and according to this Bible, it's obsolete. It's finished. If you have any thoughts that your access to God, that his love and presence are dependent on you doing anything, you are out of date, you're old-fashioned, and you're past it. Get with the news. Get with the time. Get in the present. In fact, just get, just get in the first century, let alone the 21st century. You see, this old, this old, the old deal. The 2,000-year-old deal was between God and his people, and they both had to keep their sides of the bargain. That's why it all keeps going wrong in the Old Testament, because the people don't keep their side of the bargain. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he did something brand new. Because when Jesus came, there was a new deal. There was a new agreement made. And this time it was not between God and you and me. It was between God and somebody else. Because the new deal is not between God and man. In fact, you play no part in the establishment nor the continuing power of this deal that God's made that means you can have access to his table. Your only decision is whether you want to enjoy 
the benefits of it or not because this new covenant is between Father God and Jesus. This new covenant is between Father God and Jesus, which means it does not depend on you. Jesus said, all right, Father, I am going to go and I'm going to live a life and then I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to be raised to life again and this, and I'm going to do that and God went, well, if you do that, this was the last if-then agreement, if you do that, then I will make sure they always have access to my table. And Jesus did that. That was the last if-then deal that they did together. Which means, which means that you can't make it any better. You can't make it any worse. You can't spoil it. You can't ruin it. You can't do anything about it. Because the Father and the Son have covered it together. They've agreed some things together. And then they've allowed us to share in the benefits of that relationship. Just in the same way that Jonathan and David agreed to show kindness to their respective families. And little M got all the benefits of it. So God, the Father, and Jesus made a deal. And you, little you, gets all the benefits of it. Let me... You see, it works a bit like this. This is not a brilliant example, but, but it's, a, it's a way of thinking about it. When Faye and I got married, we made a covenant of love together. And we agreed to love and honor and cherish and obey and all those things that we agreed. We committed to creating a culture and an environment of love between ourselves. But we committed to do that. And then we had some children, and our children entered into that environment. Now our children... They may try with their behavior or their words to break this covenant and to stop this culture of love. But if me, only Faye and I can decide to stop it. We can decide to just go on loving each other and creating an environment no matter what and our kids just get to enjoy it. They can try and break it. But I won't ever let them. Just like the father will never let you break it either. So our kids just get to hopefully, when we get it right, the occasions we both get it right, they get to enjoy this beautiful environment of love that was created for them. Did they do anything for it? No. Can they stop it? No. They can rebel against it. They can run away from it or they can run towards it, but they can't break it. That's up to fate, It's just the same with the Father and Jesus. They're covering it together. You just get to enjoy it. It's a mirror of what Father God and Jesus have done. The difference being they always get it 100% right. As children to the Father, we cannot influence this deal that's been done, this access that is granted our only choice is whether we want to join in with the environment and atmosphere they have created. Okay, back to our story. Because I find it incredible, isn't it incredible, that in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Jesus, there is a picture of what the heart of God. Don't tell me the Old Testament's boring and dull. It's so fabulous. An incredible picture of what God wants to do and what he's like. So listen. The picture of David's care for little M is a picture of God's care for you. You may, like little M, feel lame. You may feel unclean. You may feel unworthy of the invitation, but you've got one anyway. It's already been posted and it's already arrived in your life. It's already been put through the letterbox of your life Has the invitation. Sorry, but you can't stop it and you can't return it. It's already there. 
But just like little M, we show up at the table and we say things like, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me, don't we? We don't say those exact words, but we come up with all the reasons why we can't dwell at the table, why we're not worthy, why we've done something terrible, why our past and our history or our future or our present or our this or our that. We give all these reasons why we can't enjoy sitting at his table. And God's response is just like David's. You'll always have an invitation and you're always welcome and you can always come and eat. But like little M, we approach God feeling laden down, perhaps with shame and fear and a head full of reasons why we shouldn't be welcomed. And like little M, we have a choice. Because we have been welcomed by the king and invited to eat at the king's table every day as one of his sons. The invitation is extended, but now you have a choice and I have a choice. Are we going to eat? Or are we going to believe all the reasons why we can't eat? But all those reasons do not nullify the invitation. They do not stop the invitation, and you cannot stop it. So the question is, are you going to accept the invitation to eat at the king's table? Will you accept the king's kindness? Or will you choose to reject it and stay away because of all the reasons in your head why you are not worthy to sit and eat there? You see, little M had only one thing to do. Here's the thing. You want to know what you've got to do to enjoy God? This is it. There's only one thing you've got to do. Forget all that stuff. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. Listen, it's really helpful. And if you want to become like him, you need to do that. But there's only one thing you actually need to do, and it's this. Accept his invitation. That's it. It's the only thing you've got to do. That's it. It really is that simple. That's the only thing you've actually got to do. Of course, if you want to know what he's like, well, you'll need to read this thing. If you want to build a relationship, you need to talk with him. That's called prayer. But the only thing you've actually got to do is just go, thank you, I'm going to accept your invitation. For little M, all he had to do was turn up every day at the palace. That's all he had to do. He says he lived in Jerusalem. Interestingly, it doesn't say he lived in the palace. But he lived, perhaps he lived near, because every day he had to choose to get himself to the table where there was a feast awaiting for him. But he could stay at home. Or he could go eat at the king's table like one of his sons. There was one thing to do, to enjoy the feast of his table, to enjoy the warmth of his presence, to enjoy the safety of his protection, to enjoy the goodness of his companionship. He had to accept the invitation and turn up every day. He had to choose to not like the shame, the rejection, the fear, the pain, all the other reasons. He had to choose to go, no, I'm choosing to believe that I'm welcome at his table. You and I have only one thing to do. There's only one thing we need to do. To enjoy the feast of God's table, the warmth of his presence, the safety of God's protection, the goodness of his companionship. Only one thing, you've just got to respond and turn up every day. That is the simplicity of the Christian faith. That's it. And little M lived in Jerusalem because he was always, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. You see, David welcomed him just as he was. And he kept on welcoming him just as he was. He was still lame, but he was still welcome. He didn't wait till it all got sorted. He didn't wait and say, well, when you've got yourself fixed up, then you can come in. When we've got you a decent wheelchair. He went, no. You may feel you're not worthy. You may feel you're lame in some way, shape or form, but your invitation's already gone out. 
and there is nothing that disqualifies you from eating at his table and rejoicing in his presence. So listen, this morning, this is what we're going to do. Matt, can we just make sure that that camera doesn't focus on who's at this table? Maybe just make it a bit higher on my head or something. I just want people to be able to come without them uh, being on the screen. So listen, this is what we're going to do. And I've deliberately laid it there, and it's deliberately not going to be brought to you. Okay? Because you have to choose to respond to his invitation. But there's a couple of other things we're going to do as well. You may have all sorts of reasons running around your head why you're not welcome. And, and, and I know you know, well, I'm just going to take a, a drink and some bread. But you've got to think, this is, you've got to imagine that this is you being accepted and welcomed in the presence of the king just as you are, okay? And by walking up and taking something, you're just saying, okay, no, I, I'm doing this. I'm welcome and I'm choosing to do it. Well, this is the other thing I want you to do because... I think, I also want you to work out, and for some of you, I knew I'd pick one that didn't work. For some of you, they might not, you might be like, yeah, I know I'm welcome to his table, like it's fine. Okay, well done. You've done well to get there, but you are probably one of the few. But I want you to have a think about why you struggle to accept his invitation. And for some of you, it's important that you grab a pen and a paper and you write down those reasons first. Okay? Because I want you to know, you've got to, if you don't go, no, this is why I struggle with it, that's part of the journey is going, okay, this is why I struggle with it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's how you get transformed. Okay? And I don't think we're going to have the shredder on all the time because it makes a horrible noise, which may well spoil the atmosphere. But, but, what I want, but I want you, if you want to do this, so you can, you can take it. But we're, basically, we're moving into singing, so we've got tons of time now, okay? Tons of time. But it might be helpful for some of you to go, okay, these, these are the reasons why I don't feel it. But, Lord, I'm going to choose to come anyway and give them to you. It might be helpful. Yeah, we're not going to have that on while we do. <laughs> Listen, this will mean different things for different people, okay? It might be the first time you've really accepted his invitation had accepted and received his love, it might be, it, it might mean different things to different people, but that's fine. It's what it means to you. But I felt like we had to do something that was a response to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn up at the palace and I'm going to eat from his table. So, sorry, I'm asking you to do three jobs at once, mate. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that higher up now? Okay. I just need that song playing. Oh, I can do it from here, though, can't I? You stay there. Unless it's me with. All right. 
could pull up it on my iPad, but I won't. Okay. In your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence, oh Lord, my God. In your presence, that's where I belong. Okay. So if you want to come, if you want to grab someone to write with, grab someone to write with. If you want to take something, um, maybe the musicians, if you want to come and do it first, and after this you can play and do whatever's good for you. If you want to write something, just leave it in a, fold it up, leave it in a pile here. We'll stick it on the shredder afterwards, okay? Nobody's going to read it.
This is what I want to do, all right? You, you know individually what you wrote down and shared. I just want you to see it in your hands. Whatever you wrote down, kind of see it somehow in your hands, however that works for you. And I want to say well done, because I know that this, this is weighty, this is heavy, this wears you down, and it feels like a huge burden some days on your heart. So well done, all of you wrote it down and came out well done, because I know, I know how challenging that can be, but I want you to know that when you do things like that, that is an expression of faith to the Father that you want to be in a different place. And the Father I know loves your faith. He loves it. And it's powerful. So we're going to pray. And then I'm going to shred all these things, which will make a horrible noise, but I don't really care. Because actually, I believe... I believe that as you did that, for some of you, it broke something over it. It actually broke something over it. I don't say it's gone completely, but I say it's broke something over it. And I want us to pray together that that might be true, okay? So just see it right now in your hands. 
Father God, we want to thank you for your invitation to your table. We want to thank you that it's a, a constant, open invitation because of what you and Jesus covenanted together and agreed together about our access to you. And we say thank you, Lord. And we're so aware, just like little M was so aware, we're so aware of all the things, all the reasons why we think we shouldn't be allowed access. But Lord, I want to thank you that you have taken all those reasons and they were nailed to your cross and they were crucified with you. And we recognize, Lord, our task is to draw our minds into line with what you think about us. But right now, in this moment, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, those things which we've written down, which we've given over to you, Lord, that you would break the power of them in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, we might know a new freedom in some way, shape, or form from them as we journey towards being accepted at your table. Father, I am asking for nothing less than a whole new revelation of your acceptance this morning in the name of Jesus. I'm asking for nothing less than a whole new understanding of our welcome in your arms and at your table. I'm asking, Jesus, that you would break by your Holy Spirit into people's hearts in a way that they know that they know that they know more than they've ever known that they are welcomed and accepted by you, Father. And Father, we thank you that all these reasons that have been given, Lord, all the reasons that people said, Father, they were, are, and have all been dealt with. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. sing together and worship him but I want you to remember this moment okay there's something about this moment that's going to be important for some of you that when those thoughts come in your mind you need to remember that shredder remember this invitation you need to remember that you are always welcome at the table of the king to dine as one of his sons and all you've got to do is turn up to the palace and eat. That's all you've got to do. Okay, let's sing. Let's, God may want to do some other bits and pieces. I'm sure he does, but let's sing and bless him. <laughs> 